when I faced hard things, hard interactions and conversations, not only did I not know how to communicate skillfully with the person with whom I was having that difficult experience, but also I didn't know how to not get taken over by the intensity of feelings and stories I would make up in my mind, in my internal dialogue, and then inevitably, habitually, the decision would be the same, and that decision was to disconnect. I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach devoted to helping you have more peace and more harmony in all your relationships. Recently, I was talking to Jay, a student of mine who's taken many workshops with me. She said, Alejandra, I'd love to know how you work with your communication when things are hard for you. I thought it was such a beautiful question. Yes, in our life as human beings, we all have hard moments, hard situations, hard conversations, hard seasons. And today, I am going to share with you how I use my internal and external communication when things are hard for me. I want to start with a hard interaction that happened when I was not very aware of my communication and I didn't really have many inner resources. I want to share this with you because I'd love for you to know that if this resonates with you, with your experience, and you find yourself saying to yourself that you are not having inner resources or a lot of awareness about how your communication impacts your life and relationships, I hope my first story lets you know that you are perfectly human, and I also hope this first story inspires you to learn more, just like I learned more. So let's go to the first story. I was at a dinner with family friends. Somehow we started talking about energy about fossil fuels versus renewable energy. And then we started talking about consumerism. I don't really remember exactly how it happened. As I said, this happened a long time ago. But the people at the dinner were saying that climate change did not exist, that it was a fantasy, that renewable energy was a utopian dream, and that it didn't matter what happened to the future of our planet because we were all going to be dead by then. And they also said that our planet was for us humans to use as we pleased and for our own benefit and reward. What I remember from that experience is that I was trying to respond defensively and hold on to whatever argument I could have. I remember desperately trying to convince them that the future of the planet mattered, even if we were going to be dead. I remember their faces laughing. I remember feeling so small. I remember thinking that these were horrible people and questioning in my mind about why they were friends of our family. Then I remember shutting down. 
and I'm almost certain I engaged in overeating at that dinner. Later on, when we got home, I could not keep it together. I sobbed for hours, and I fell into despair. The pain turned into anguish, and it wasn't just about this conversation, our family, friends, their beliefs, my beliefs. It was about the whole state of this country and then the whole state of the world. I spiraled into a state of grief. And days later, I remember saying to Matthew that I never wanted to see these family friends again. I don't know if this may surprise you, but this kind of communication and this way of being with things when they were hard for me, they were not completely atypical for me. When I faced hard moments, my knee-jerk communication reaction was to defend, to get righteous, to try to convince the other to see my perspective as right or better. And if I couldn't accomplish that, then I would shut down until maybe I could get to some place that felt safe to me, to cry, to make the story and the feelings more intense, until at some point I would collapse from so much crying and make some kind of black and white decision that often included taking distance. As you can see, when I faced hard things, hard interactions and conversations, not only did I not know how to communicate skillfully with a person with whom I was having that difficult experience, but also I didn't know how to not get taken over by the intensity of feelings and stories I would make up in my mind, in my internal dialogue. And then, inevitably, habitually, the decision would be the same. And that decision was to disconnect. Disconnect from everything, from the other person, and also disconnect from myself by trying to do something that would offer me some kind of distraction from this difficult interaction. Uh, I feel tender sharing this with you. And at the same time, I feel a sweet sense of compassion telling you how little capacity I had to communicate when things were hard for me. I know that the way I used to communicate and the way I used to be with hard situations was perfectly human. And it was also completely habitual. Now let's fast forward and let me share about a more recent experience that's present with me that I shared with Jay, my student who asked me the question. I was at a fundraiser event for an anti-racist organization I support. I was really excited about the work of the organization and what I was learning with them, and I invited friends to come to this event with me. At the end of the event, I wanted someone to take a picture of us for me to share that picture later with my friends. A Black woman who worked in this anti-racist organization was nearby, so I asked her to take the picture. The woman seemed uncomfortable, but she took the picture anyway. When I got home, I wondered why the woman who took the picture looked so uncomfortable. So what I did was that I used observational language in my internal dialogue to recall the moment. So I said to myself something like this. I was with a group of friends. 
We were all smiling. I took my phone out. I looked for someone to take a picture. I saw this woman and I called her. Oh, and I used the wrong name. I had used a name for her that belonged to another black woman who also worked in this anti-racist organization. When I realized what had happened, I felt nauseous. I had perpetuated a racist behavior in communication. You most likely know that people of color are usually misnamed and called names that belong to another person of color. I knew not only how disrespectful this had been, but also how hurtful this was, especially because of the context. I was at a fundraising event for an anti-racist organization, and I have just perpetuated racist behavior. I also knew how hurtful it was because I've had this happen to me several times, but not with the frequency I hear Black folks talking about this very experience. I knew that when I called her by the wrong name, what I was communicating was, I'm not seeing you as an individual, but as a member of a group who's different from me. Ah, that was hard. And when things are hard for me, I learned to use observational language in my internal dialogue. What I mean is that I recall the difficult interaction by using language that could be seen through the lens of a camera. Observational language allows me to be neutral. And with observational language, I'm not making things better or worse than they were. I'm not adding any meaning. I'm not judging the other person or myself as bad or wrong. So observational language allows me to consider the situation with clarity and neutrality. When I don't use observational language in my internal dialogue to recall what's hard, it's much easier to get hooked by reactive communication habits, like in the first story I told you about. When I had the experience I told you in my first story, I didn't even know what observational language was. Now, as I just mentioned, in this most recent hard interaction, I connected to the feeling of nausea in my body. Before I was committed to explore how my communication was impacting my life, I had no idea how to connect to my body sensations or why that was important. I had to learn to pay attention to my body. You know, the body, and you've probably heard me say this before if you've been following me for some time, the body is our internal communication system and our most immediate communication system. Our body tells us the truth. So in this case, once I contacted and was willing to be curious with the sensation of nausea in my body, I noticed that that sensation was telling me that I was sad. And so I became curious with the sadness. In this instance, I discovered that I was sad that I had hurt someone. I was sad that I had perpetuated a racist behavior. I was sad that I was living in a time in which racism is, as Robin DiAngelo puts it, like the air we breathe. We're impacted by it, but we don't notice it until we're conscious of it. I was sad that I wasn't conscious of it in the moment. This sadness also said, Alejandra, you care about this woman. 
You care about her feelings. You care about the impact your communication has. You care about what you bring forth with your communication. And so I noticed that what I wanted to bring forth with my communication, especially in that situation, was peace, love, reconciliation, awareness, bravery, and equity. I knew these were my values, and I know that the more I connect to my values, the more I'm able to connect to my capacity to show up as an adult and choose to take skillful action based on my values. In this case, skillful action was communicating to this woman and to the director of the organization so that the director could offer a space for this woman to share about her experience or to find ways to support her. First, I communicated to the woman I hurt. As I said, I knew it was important to communicate skillfully. So when I offered my sincere apology, my main message was to let her know that I knew my action had hurt her, that I saw the discomfort on her face, that I thought I understood why, and that I wanted to open up a safe space for her to let me know how my unconscious racist action had impacted her. I also let her know that if she was willing to talk, I would listen and that she would not have to endure any explanations about why this happened. In the past, when I had a hard interaction in which I hurt someone, I would say something like, I'm sorry, and then I would try to convince the other person that I was a good person or that I had good intentions, or that I didn't have any intentions to hurt the other person. In my years of studying communication, I've learned to move away from this way of apologizing, which puts the burden on the person I've hurt. If you'd like me to record a podcast episode on conscious apology, I'm happy to do that. If you're on my mailing list, you can email me or you can go to languagealchemy.com forward slash podcast question and send me a voice message there. I will add that link in the show notes. And after I emailed an apology to the woman I hurt, I also emailed the director of the organization to let them know what had happened at the event. And I made myself available for dialogue to hear how my behavior had impacted the director, the staff, or the organization. If you're wondering why I did this via email, I did it because that's how we had communicated in the past. And I also made myself available for a phone conversation or an in-person meeting. And as you can see, all this took work. Yes, transformative communication does take work. But before we can take on all this work of transformative communication, what we need to tap into is a sense of openness and humility to learn. When we have that sense of openness and humility to learn, that's when we are more able to admit when we make mistakes and then to have the skills to repair the bond of connection when that is necessary. As I like to say, I was not born knowing how to communicate in this way, 
I learned. It's taken years and I will be learning for the rest of my life because for as long as I'm alive, I will encounter new conversations, new difficult interactions, new hard moments that will need my attention, my openness, my humility, and my skillful communication. Now, if after hearing this, you say to yourself, yes, I would like to take that first step and learn about how my communication is impacting me and others and what I can do to learn, then I suggest you take the quiz I created for you in which you'll find out about the main communication habit you need to be aware of and keep in check to have the life and relationships you want and deserve, especially when things are hard for you. You can find the quiz by going to languagealchemy.com forward slash quiz. And now let's recap what you've heard in this episode. In this episode, I talked about two experiences that were hard for me, and I shared with you the actions I took. In the first experience, all my actions and communication were reactive and habitual. In the second experience, my actions and communication were anchored in my commitment. My commitment to bring forth peace, love, equity, and maturity to all my relationships through the way I communicate. I'd love to hear how this episode was for you, what resonated for you, what questions you may have. If you are on my mailing list, you know how to reach me, or you can go to languagealchemy.com forward slash podcast question, and you can ask me questions there. And of course, once again, if you're willing to take the first step, Take the quiz by visiting languagealchemy.com forward slash quiz. Thank you so much for listening and a big thanks to Jay for asking me that question that became a whole podcast episode and for her willingness to learn to take skillful action through transformative communication when things are hard for her. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapoe. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com.